Good evening. It's good to be with you all this evening. I'm kind of pitch hitting for Pastor Jim. He uh, had a horrific travel schedule yesterday and uh, had to take care of some things today. So he asked me if I could uh, continue his uh, thoughts on the uh, omniscience of God. Um, you know, I, I as I was driving in tonight, I wondered, uh, you know, how to continue to frame. We, we really have been on a very, um, I think, a very important searching out of truth. And I'm trusting and believing and hoping that this is something that each of you each week are able to connect with and then take from here and make application. Let it do. And, and my prayer is, as I was coming in tonight, was... God, it's really up to you to take the word of truth and encounter and intersect people's lives in such a way that they're built up by that. Uh, it's not anything that uh, the, the teacher can do, that the minister can do. Um, you know, I, I wished I could uh, accompany on an instrument and sing my thoughts. And, but that, no, that really would not be a good idea. Um, that, that would be, des- that would be uh, terrible. So, um, but I, I just, I, I want to I come back and kind of frame, not only tonight, but what we have been talking about. When we talk about holiness, when we talk about uh, the sovereignty of God, his all-powerfulness, omniscience, and what we continue on in, in maybe in the next few weeks, uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand. By faith we understand. Now, interestingly enough, that applies in any setting. Do you understand that when somebody who is convinced, my, my uh, father-in-law who passed uh, earlier this year was a scientist, absolutely convinced of the materialistic uh, understanding of how things came about by way of evolution. And when you boiled it right down to it, he did not really believe in God but, but it was clear that he was holding what he was holding by faith. Because there wasn't anything when I, I would ask him some questions that I had. I mean, I wasn't trying to pin him to the wall on anything, but some real questions about how does this work in, a, in, a, in terms of evolution. You know, I think a second law of thermodynamics, that things don't tend to, to, to move upward, they tend to deteriorate. It's just a law of physics. And he said, well, we really don't have an answer for that. Okay, by faith we understand. And as Christians, as believers, uh, you know, we want, I want to encourage you as we kind of dive in once again in a fresh way to this whole notion of omniscience, but anything that deals with theological truth about God, that, it, that when we touch his attributes, let us do so and address them with understanding that is established in faith and let our faith be strengthened by the enlightening of our understanding. So in other words, as you understand more about what the Word of God is opening up to us about how God is and who He is, that understanding is intended to build up your faith. But for that to happen, you have to enter into that understanding process, that learning process, with faith. By faith, we understand. Now, the reason that this is important is because we do live in a society and in a culture, and, we, and you've heard me comment on this before, that if it isn't, if it doesn't kind of, in the first few minutes, 
stimulate something in us, either in our emotions or give us a sense of goosebumps on the back of our neck or, or something, or make us laugh uproariously or something, that we tend to tune it out. And what I want to encourage you to do as we enter into this material, what we talk about next week and the weeks coming, as we continue to enter into this, do so with a sense of, Lord, I want my faith to help me understand, and as I understand, for my faith to be deepened and broadened. Amen? Well, Pastor Jim noted in regard to this subject of omniscience, the all-knowing nature of God, and I'm just going to quickly kind of summarize some of the things he touched on, that, that God knows everything. And we say, well, of course he does. Yeah, but I think sometimes we think of knowing everything like we would know everything, but God knows in a way that's beyond anything we can even understand. And so what we do when we're looking at this is kind of digging around in, this is how God's knowing works in him. And as we understand that, we can see how the, the, we, can, we can begin to uh, assess or appraise some of the ways in which that should build our faith and trust in him. God's knowledge, it said, is not learned, but is possessed in himself in view of his eternal nature. In other words, God doesn't learn anything. God possesses all knowledge. He doesn't learn anything. In fact, if God had to learn something, it would tell us that he was finite. He didn't, he didn't have it all. And so for him to, you know, get up one morning and say, Jesus, did you know that? Well, Father, I didn't. Well, let's bring in the Holy Spirit. Maybe he knew that. You know, we, we chuckle about it because we say, well, that's ridiculous. He knows everything. And he always has known everything. And there's nothing that lies out the purview of what he knows. Second, God's knowledge is simultaneous, not successive. What he knows, he knows all at once, all at the same time, continually. So what that means is you and I learn by things coming before us one bit after another. It's the first grade, the second grade, the junior in high school, the senior in high school, the sophomore in college, the doctoral degree, the whatever, the postgraduate degree. We are learning in bits and, you know, bits and spurts. And hopefully we continue to learn as we grow through life. God never had to learn anything in that way. With God, the act of perception is complete and instantaneous, God thinks about all things at once. If he should wish, uh, Wayne Grudem uh, says this in, in his Systematic Theology, if God should wish to tell us the number of grains of sand on the seashore or the number of stars in the sky, he would not have to quickly count them all. He'd just say, well, blah, blah. <laughs> what did I wear yesterday to work? Blah, blah. You know? Do I care? No, he wouldn't ask that question. <laughs> there are some things God, there are some things that we can't even imagine that he just, he knows. He knows. Now, the, the point Pastor Jim was getting at last week with this is that when we begin to see this, and I'm, I think I'm going to use maybe a little example here later on when we talk about this some more, but, but when we realize he knows, then when I go to bed struggling at night with some horrific or horrendous issue and I don't see any way out, I can't even see around it, 
He knows. He knows what it is. He knows where it needs to go. He knows how it gets resolved. These are the things that this is why it's good to meditate on his omniscience. Now, we all know, you know, we also know that he's got the power to break it off of me. He's got the power to bring in the money. He's got the power to change that person's heart. You know, he's got all that too. But sometimes God just wants us, as we were doing today in, in worship tonight, he just wants us to sit back, and I think it was Tiffany who said, quiet your soul. Just settle yourself. And thinking about and realizing the omniscience of God is one of the ways in which that, hap that is able to happen. Um, God's knowledge is independent. It's not dependent. He doesn't receive his knowledge from anyone or anything external to himself. Uh, Isaiah 40, 13 through 14 says, Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor, who's informed him? You listen to most of our prayers, and a lot of what we pray is informational. Lord, do you realize? You know, I, I, bless, I, I, I tell you what, some intercessors just, they're, they're fervent. I was kidding with Kathy the other day about this. The, 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 the folks who just, they start praying, and they pray over every detail. Somebody's going into the hospital, they're praying over, you know, I mean, let the scalpels be sharp. Let the lights go on, you know. Let the pills work. Let the oxygen, you know. And yet, and we say, thank God they cover all that. I'm sitting there saying, God, just do it. You know, I mean, that, that's, my, that's as far as intercession goes with me. Be why? Because he knows everything that needs to be done. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't have any idea what needs, what's going on in that. I mean, you know, and Lord, help their appendix not to pop out or so, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, and they're going in for brain surgery. You know, I, it just, it, it, I have no idea, but God knows. He knows. He knows right down to the core. And we can, and when we think about that and realize, Isaiah goes on, he says, and who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him on the way of understanding? Nobody, nobody did that. He's always been that way. God's knowledge is infallible. It's not subject to error. 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole thing in itself and we're going to touch on it, come circle back to that one a little later, I think. But it's the whole notion that where God, God is light, he likes the light. He loves all the lights on. He likes to have light that goes all the way down, all the way in, all the way open. There's no, no, nothing hidden before him. That's the thing I was praying this the other day. I was praying about some things. I said, I got up, I, I know none of you are ever this way, but I got up one morning and I said, oh, Lord. I said, what has been going on? I feel like, I just feel like, like the moon is just, you know, it's, it's just there's no light. There's nothing I'm reflecting. And I realized, you know what? We're moonies. That was a cult years ago, by the way, a Korean cult. But we all go through phases like the moon. And I realized I was being like the moon again, going through another phase. Of course, God's never there. That's another part of his, and we'll touch about maybe that in a week or two, on his immutability. He never changes. But the point is, is that God knows where we are and he knows how to bring us out of 
what, what, where we are because everything that he deals with us in is infallible, it's absolutely correct, and it is to be recognized in that way. And correspondingly, we need to be open to him in that way. We need to be nothing veiled, nothing hidden. And number five, God's knowledge is infinite. It's not partial. Acts 15, 18 says, Known unto God are all the works from the beginning of the world. God knows exhaustively all his own deeds and plans. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He knows exactly what he is going to do. He knows exactly how he is going to bring everything into alignment with that. He knows himself. He also knows. We say, well, of course he does. But, but remember the prayer? He said, the spirit of God. Who knows, the, he, who knows the spirit or the heart of a man except the spirit of the man within him? Who knows the heart of God except the spirit of God within him? God knows himself. And he knows, he knows what he has and he knows what he's doing and he knows what he wants to accomplish with us and in us and for us. Carl Henry writes, Let me make this point. It's it's great. God knows exhaustively all of his own deeds and plans. He knows himself. He also knows us thoroughly and exhaustively. No secret of the human heart, no thought of the mind or feeling of the soul escapes his gaze. Now, it's got a good side and a bad side. The good side is sometimes I don't know what's going on inside of me. And it is so good to have to be able to come back and say, God, you understand this naughty, K-N-O-T-T-Y, mess within my soul. Sometimes it's N-A-U-G-H-T-Y, but this naughty mess. <laughs> Got to be careful which word you people go, hey, the pastor gets a little naughty now and then, huh? I get K-N-O-T-T-Y on a regular basis. You with me? So... We, we, but, but I'm just saying, the thing we have to understand is that he knows. He looks down. He knows. He understands. That's the good side of it. The other side of it is he knows. He knows right where you're coming from. You in that argument with your spouse, <laughs> you're trying to put the best face on that you can. You are a lion, two-faced devious, deceitful, you know, unbelieving, harsh, critical, mean-spirited man. I had a guy open that up to me the other day in the counseling office, and I said, boy, that's really bad. <laughs> no, we, we play that game. He knows. He knows. In him, there's no darkness. God is light. Carl Henry said, psychologists and psychoanalysts speak of deep areas of subconscious experience of which human beings are hardly aware. But God knows all men thoroughly. Psychologists and psychoanalysts and theologians as well. He knows everybody. He knows right down to the core. He he knows right down to where you tie your shoes. Wayne Grudem's definition is a good summary. God fully knows himself and all things, actual and possible, in one simple and eternal act. Now here we begin to appreciate the value of understanding by faith the omniscience of God. I think we've been touching on that. In the mysterious vastness of his nature, we can be assured that he knows and that he understands 
What God understands, he knows how to use and how to utilize for his purpose and his glory. So it's not just that he knows a lot of facts. What he knows, he understands. And what he understands, he then knows how to use. And for our part, that's so vital. Because we have to have a confidence, first of all, that he knows us. Second of all, he knows what he's doing. That God knows all things in their entirety means that he knows the future. To say God is omniscient means that God knows what is ahead, what is in the unseen future. Seeing how all the pieces fit together requires a viewpoint, a vantage point, only available through omniscience. Not only does God see what has happened, and he's seen what, happened, what has happened to you, that maybe you're the only one that even knows it. But he knows what's happened. He also sees what's happening. You know, and we've all had those kind of prayers. God, have you seen, you know... Do you, did you see that? You know, yeah, it did slip, slip by me. You know. <laughs> but he also sees in his omniscience what is going, what will happen in the future, his foreknowledge. Through prophetic mechanics, Pastor Jim was pointing out, we get glimpses of God's foreknowledge. Well, that's, that's one of the reasons why we, we, we value, excuse me, and, and appreciate the, uh, the importance of the prophetic is because one aspect of the prophetic is it gives us a window into what God is going to do. One of the things that that does, if you have ever received a prophetic word, oftentimes it's with a view toward what giving you a sense that God is going to work this out or accomplish this. And it gives you, what does it do? It builds your faith. It gives you a sense of confidence. It may give you a sense of reassurance. And uh, these are the kinds of things that it's, it's evident of the fact that God sees ahead. He sees what we cannot see. Uh, theologically, there are two basic views of foreknowledge. I started looking at Pastor Jim's notes, and, and I had to, for my own sake, just simplify it. Uh, in looking at the whole question of God's foreknowledge, there is... The, the first general view of, of how this is understood theologically is just simple foreknowledge. God simply knows what is going to come to pass. The future is not open from God's perspective. In other words, there, I didn't realize this, but there is one view of God's foreknowledge that has come up now, but that basically is so intent on, the, on people having free will and realizing what they're doing, God suspends his omniscience about the future and waits for you to play your cards and then he figures out what to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't offer me any comfort at all. Now, simple, simple foreknowledge basically says God knows everything that's going to happen. He just knows it. He understands it. Um... God's, God foreknows everything that will come to pass in the future because he has, excuse me, he knows everything that is going to come to pass in the future. The future is not open from his perspective, but neither is God's foreknowledge, and here's the distinction, based on his foreordination. In other words, based on what he intends the future to do. The, others, the other view of foreknowledge is what is sometimes called the Calvinist view, and you've probably heard this term. 
God foreknows everything that will come to pass in the future because he has foreordained everything that will come to pass. Now this, and this raises all kinds of questions that I'm not, we, we mustn't try to address and, and there are responses, but that doesn't mean that God has planned all the bad things and breeds. No, no, no. He is working his will and purpose in the full view of the fact that in giving man free will, which he did, man is now affected by the results of his use of that free will. He's not free anymore. So what we're now looking at is a world that is basically defined and directed by the outworking of mankind's fallen nature. Calvinism basically says God is working to bring mankind through that turmoil, through that morass, working his redemptive purposes in and through it all, and ultimately bringing it to the fulfillment that he has in, he has in view. So in other words, working in the mass... There is purpose. And that's the foreordained view. It's not that God just knows there's going to be a mess and he's going to see the messes here and he's got it, you know, he's going to work out his will, but rather he is working in uh, the things that are going on. Now, this is a hot button area in any theological discussion. What does God know ahead of time? And if he knows it, how does he know it? Does he know it because he simply knows all things, including those things that have not yet happened? Or does he know because he has determined what the future holds and is directing mankind's affairs in keeping with what he has foreordained? Without going into great detail, the elephant in the room in this issue is free will. You know, is God calling all the shots or do we have some kind of freedom? The answer to that question is yes. The problem with free will, and the, and the understanding here is the, the arguments about free will are perfectly legitimate, but the, we, we would be the first to affirm we're not free people. That's why we needed Jesus Christ. We are a people in bondage. We're not just in bondage. And yet you look and see, well, the Jews, the Pharisees would always say that. We're not slaves. Well, they were living under Roman oppression. They didn't, couldn't hardly move down the street without asking a Roman for approval, but in their minds, hey, we're not slaves. They didn't realize how much slavery they were enslaved by, to what degree they really were slaves, because of what was going on down in their souls. So the whole idea of free will is kind of the elephant in the room. Nonetheless, and understand, when we talk about God foreordaining, we're not talking about some kind of mechanical way that the universe runs. Quite to the contrary, God is loving, he's personal, he's intimate, he cares about us. There's, no yeah, there's a joke about the, the Calvinist who fell down the stairs. and He got up, picked himself up, brushed himself off, and he said, well, I'm glad that's over. And moved on. I mean, it's sort of like, well, that was going to happen and I had no control over it and now it's done. We'll go on to the next thing. It doesn't work that way. God is a God who deals with us in a personal and loving way. But, and with this, our choices do proceed from what is in our hearts. We do choose freely. We do choose what we want and they count. They have an effect. How many of you have ever done something really dumb and it came back and bit you? Don't raise your hands. 
I'll raise them for you. And it came back and bit you. Your choices are free and they have consequences. So we're not talking about some kind of rigid mechanical thing here at all. It's just, in fact, both, both sides, the, uh, the Calvinist side and the simple foreknowledge side, both affirm that, man, that, that, uh, that you're, you have freedom to choose and your choices have consequences. So the question then becomes one of how do we relate to what the future holds? We hold at this church that the, that the weight of scriptural testimony clearly points to a God who's at work in history, intentionally addressing man's affairs with a view to his, God's purpose. God has set himself to bring certain things about, and he's working immutably, inexorably to that end. In other words, God's at work. The reason we, we hold to that is because each one of us finds great confidence in believing God's at work in my life. God's at work in my family. We're dealing with situations, problems. How many of you say, well, I don't know if that's going to work out or not. I guess it's in God's hands. You know, I mean, you can take that approach, but you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to be looking to escape from that one way or the other. I guess we'll just turn on and watch another five hours of, you know, sitcoms or something. But just it's not, we have to be in a place where we believe, according to the word of God, that God is at work. He is doing something. God's purpose is to work his plan of redemption for his creation. He intends to restore to himself what is rightfully and truly his, which is all the earth, and to do so in a way that all of creation, when it's said and done, angels, animals, forests, waves, you and I, everyone who's ever existed, all of us will stand up, as it were, and say, glory to God, look what he has done. That's what's going to be at the end of the tunnel. We're going to come out of the tunnel. Uh, we used to travel to Glacier Park. You'd go through these tunnels. You'd come out. Here's a vast panorama of the Rocky Mountains overlooking a spectacular valley. Beautiful. We're going through the tunnel. We don't know what it looks like. Tunnels are dark by definition. But we are coming into a place when it is going to be evident to all of us God knew exactly what he was doing and he was doing it in order that he could be more fully known. Not just to get us out of a bad pickle. He was doing it so he could be more fully known. Because when he's more fully known, we're made full. That's our fullness, is the fullness of God. It's not just our deliverance, but that God would be glorified. Some things then to understand about God's omniscience. First of all, it's personal. It's not mechanistic or fatalistic. God knows us. Before a word is on my tongue, you completely knew me, O Lord. Psalm 139. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is the psalm that talks about the omniscience of God, the depths and degree and expanse of what God knows. 
And when we read that, all of us, I, you'd read, I love coming to 139, Psalm 139, my devotions, because I know it's always going to, he really does know me. He really does love me. He really does care. And it's good. We, we need to drink that in. His omniscience at the same time is comprehensive. It's all-inclusive. It's not only personal, but it, uh, it applies to everything. Psalm 147 says, He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Psalm 33 says, from heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. This is the vastness of our God. His, his, his omniscience is to the end of our redemption. Blessed be the God. I love this in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you and I in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And then it goes on and says, even as, or you could use Duke Bendix, even as, or just like when, he chose us in him before the foundation of the earth. I don't know about you, but if you're lacking significance tonight, just think about that verse for a while. If you know Jesus Christ, then God knew you from before the foundation of the earth. You go back a long way in his mind and heart. For those whom he foreknew, Romans 8, 29. He also predestined. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren, and those whom he predestined, in other words, he, pre, he, he, he predestined that they become something, those he predestined, he called into that. He beckoned us into that. He drew you into that. None of us here decided one morning, well, I think I'll follow Jesus. Most of us were kicking and screaming against that idea until something finally broke. The penny finally dropped. Something happened, and we realized, you know what? The call of God cannot be resisted. It beckons us. It compels us. One of the ways that word is, is, is defined. The call of God compels us to Christ. So intent is his purposes, are his purposes toward us. So what is our response in the last few minutes here? First of all, there's three responses, and these can maybe become our prayer points tonight. Is the first is, how do we respond to such omniscience? The first is humility. Quote, I'm not sure who this is by, but listen to this. As our beings are nothing in regard to the infiniteness of his essence, so our knowledge is nothing in regard to the vastness of his understanding. We have a spark of being, but nothing to the heat of the sun. We have a drop of knowledge, but nothing to the divine ocean. What a vain thing it is for a shallow brook to boast of its streams before a sea whose depths are unfathomable. 
As it is a vanity to brag of our strength when we remember the power of God and of our prudence when we glance upon the great wisdom of God, so it is no less a vanity to boast of our knowledge when we think of the understanding and knowledge of God. When we, when we regard the all-knowingness of God, it gives us a clear sense of point of reference about ourselves. Job, in his classic prayer of humiliation, I know, to God, he says, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper, anybody know? Time, God may exalt you. Ever wondered why in the world is he waiting? You know, I, I, I want, I, we want action now. We want to get out now. We want God to move now. And yet, humility requires us to bow before him in his all-knowing nature and say, God, in your time, you know. Second response is one of holiness. Omniscience might be understood as the all-knowing gaze of a holy God. Pastor Jim and I were talking earlier today, and he was saying how he thought, he thought omniscience was kind of the the, the, the key linchpin of everything that God does. Classically, theologically, holiness is the linchpin for what God does. And I would suggest that when we think of omniscience, we're looking at the gaze of a holy God who is looking out on everything that he has, everything he's created, and all with a view to how his holy nature can be worked into all of that. And that's what his omniscience is, is aimed at bringing about. I've already said, God is light and in him there is no darkness. Such light speaks of all things. And we've kind of, I've kind of spoken of that. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. You see, the measure of righteousness in our life is not what we do outwardly. It, I, I, have, I can't tell you the numbers of times that I have, God has dealt with me and it's always been about what's down on your insides. What's motivating you? Where's that coming from? And that really needs to be the question we begin asking ourselves as we walk in the light. God, where is that coming from? Yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do that. I know I'm not supposed to say that. I know I'm not supposed to react that way. But where is that coming from? And how do I let, Lord, in your, your knowing, God, apply to my life and bring me, work in me the things that I need to understand and know. And obviously it's not just knowing something that changes us, but that's part of what we ask God to, to accomplish in us. And the third thing is hope. The third thing is hope. Our hope, and, and, and this is a favorite subject, but Hope should be one of the things that characterizes Christians. We are to be identified. We are to be labeled as hopeful people. Not necessarily the people who get out of all the situations as quickly as they'd like. Not, certainly not the people who are the richest people on the block. But we are to be people 
who are, who, and this is what I wrote, our hope is in the established fulfillment of what God has ordained that now stands complete. It's what's at the mouth of the tunnel when we come out. It's all there. It stands complete. It is glorious. It is mighty. It shall, it'll, it'll speak of a deliverance we didn't even imagine was possible. It will speak of something, it will, we will realize, we will step into it, and probably, you know, I think, uh, will we dance, will we cry, will we sing, what's the song, you know, what will I do, you know? It's kind of a cool question in one sense, but I think it's sort of a moot point. I think we're all going to get there and just kind of step back and put our hand over our mouth and say, I never knew. I not only never knew what you were capable of, God, I didn't realize how much it was needed. I didn't realize how much of your glory I still needed to see, and the only way I could see it is by what you did. And then we'll look back, and we'll see the glory trail, the pilgrimage that brought us there. And we'll see the infinite number of ways his knowledge was working, his knowledge was being at, worked out. He was taking us from point to point to point to point to bring us into this spectacular, awesome, mysterious wonder of the fulfillment of God's purpose. This is, this is our hope, folks. This is what we're to be rooted in. Hope is not knocking on wood. That's not hope at all. But our faith is to be informed. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We can't see the fulfillment. We can't see what's established. But we walk day by day by day in the light of that hope. And God knows exactly how to get that about bring that about. But for our part, hope, I think, really does stem from our humility and then from our walking as holy as we know how. Walk in a manner. There's a few phrases Paul uses. Walk in a manner worthy of Christ Jesus. Walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Pleasing him, it says in Colossians, in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. I think that's not only growing in what you know about God, but growing in letting his knowledge inform what we do. Amen? Amen. This is what omniscience is bring, brings us into and encounters us with.